RadioInfluence.com. Hey, everybody. I am Jen Frederick. And if you have turned on this podcast, you're looking for America's best friend. You have her. I am here. I'm ready to go. You know, last week was pure insanity. We had an election, many votes, many protests, all that stuff. And I will say that's what makes America unique is that we are allowed to vote for who we want. And then we're allowed to bitch about it if we voted. Um, But this week moving on is Veterans Day week. That's what I like to call it. And so I have to have this girl on. She is a badass of all badassery. It is Erica Webster of Dub Fitness clapping. Okay, before we begin, you know what you're named in my phone, right? There's a one word thing. Do you know what it is? It's Guantanamo. It says Guantanamo. I want everyone to know if you have not checked her out on social media, I'm going to give you all that stuff. I call her Guantanamo, AKA the army Barbie, because she's the most good looking veteran I've ever seen. First of all, thank you for your service. And that's no bullshit. Thank you for serving this country, Erica. Thank you for your unwavering support. I mean, it's been years now and you don't, it just elevates your support just elevates. And I love it. So basically, I found out about you, as many people know, I work for a television station in Philadelphia, and I think I saw a news article about you when you were trying to be a gym teacher. Not trying to be, but you know what I mean. (laughs) And it was like this, you know, Guantanamo vet. And then to see the picture of you, like many women and men, you're an attractive army person, soldier, veteran. Um, I want you to, first of all, take us back, because we're going to talk about everything you're doing now. I find this fascinating. So you're, you're living in Westchester, Pennsylvania, right? No, I was living in Philadelphia. Okay. You're living in Philadelphia. You're in high school. You're a senior in high school. I think we've all felt this way. You tell me that you were like overweight and smoking cigarettes. Yeah, don't see my, my mom is listening. <laughs> and you were fighting with your dad about what you were going to do after college. Correct. So I'm just going to, it's, you have some of the facts, right? So this um, sophomore year is actually when 9-11 happened. And that was kind of the, I call it like the catalyst. So I had always known that I wanted to join the military and leave here and get away from my horrible parents who, you know, were not horrible. Um, And I was, I was smoking cigs and, uh, you know, just being a middle child. And I, my mom would always say, all of your sisters can, I have three sisters, they could all toe the line, but here comes Erica, like leaping over it and, you know, dancing in front of it and antagonizing everybody. And I was always grounded. Um, and she actually called the police on my recruiter. <laughs> so when I joined, cause I was only 17. Um, and so just, I'm going to put that out there. She has since become like America's mom. Okay. So she is like the biggest, um, supporter of military and service members. My other sister is still in the army. Um, but yeah, she, I was 17 years old. She called the police and I will never forget sitting in the Plymouth meeting mall. And my mom is all of like five foot, maybe five foot one on a good day, strutting down the hallway with these officers. And I'm like, she didn't like, I wanted to die because you know, you hang out in the recruiter's office when you join, like you're a cool kid, you're getting ready to leave for the military. Yeah. Um, no one got arrested, obviously. Damn it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry. But my dad, I had ran, like, I don't say I ran away, but when I was 16, I moved out of my mom's house and in with my dad because I thought that my dad was going to be cool and not have rules and let me be 
you know, Erica and I was wrong. I sadly mistaken. My dad was actually who would make me wake up and do pushups. Um, and he loves to tell the story. He used to get pots and pans and beat wooden spoons on them. And that's how he woke me up for school or he'd rip my comforter off my bed. And, you know, he's like, your drill sergeant's not going to be this nice to you. And so I was definitely mistaken when I thought my dad was going to take it easy. Um, but I was a different person then. So then I did, then I left for the army right after high school graduation. And looking back at that girl who I was, it's kind of scary to think of where I would be now had I not joined. Okay. So you, you're, you're 18 years old. Mm -hmm. You're like, I'm going to the army. You get on the plane and you tell them that you want to be in, um, like, uh, military or uh, policing what's the word forensics so it's military police okay it's called um an mls yeah and they you're within three or four months of graduating high school you're a guard at guantanamo bay yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah was, did you understand what that was when you got there or were you just like no, this is where they sent me no i had no idea so i had i mean there's people in my family who are in the military but your recruiter only gives you so much, you know, because they're putting all kinds of people in. So I wasn't their only child, so to speak. Yeah. Um, so I knew generally what my job was going to be, but I didn't know what my duty station was going to be until boot camp was almost over. And I did six months of basic training and they give you like this yellow um, manila envelope. And they're like, here, this is where you're going next. And most people were getting like Fort Knox, you know, like places in Kentucky. And I'm like, Guantanamo Bay, Cuba, what the heck is even going on there? Like I'm 18 still like, and I knew that we were at war, but I didn't know the political part of it, which, you know, as we all know, Guantanamo Bay is very political. And they were like, oh my God, like that's where like the 9-11 people are. And I was like, oh great. So my first time away from home, I'm living by myself on an island where you can't visit the actual country. I can't bring anything with me besides this army duffel, duffel bag. And it was just like my my whole world was just kind of thrown. Um, and there's just, I guess, no way to prepare. You yeah. are just thrown into it. And that's kind of the army way. Just so wait, do you speak that. Spanish or did you at that time? No. Okay. It, would still, it have helped you at all? Because I guess you're dealing with people from Arab countries and United States. So. Yeah. So no, we, I mean, we learned like key phrases, you know, learned how to like say like stop or like, dinner or, you know, enchiladas, the biggest one was like on our time, on God's time, whatever. Um, but no, there was no like full immersion into another language, just kind of keywords, but most of them as most countries in the world spoke English. Yeah. Okay. So you get there and I'm, I'm sure one or two days in, you don't know, you're just like, this is my new job. I'm going to do my thing. What, like, was there a moment or an experience or something where you're like, holy shit, I'm 18 and I'm a guard at Guantanamo Bay. Um, so without giving, I guess, just too much information. State secrets. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't want someone, I'm going to have someone at my door tonight. Yeah. Um, they, it's almost, I don't want to say complacency, but it becomes your norm. So when you first get in there, you go through all of these briefs and so much training before you're even allowed in there. Um, we have to, what's called sanitize our uniforms where you take off your, your last name so that you cannot be identified. Um, we're in stab vests, our other vests, eye protection, head protection, and it's 110 degrees, 99%. Stab vests so the prisoners don't stab you. Correct. Okay. Uh, detainee. Um, detainee. Yes. 
So there was actually an incident that happened and being the 18 year old girl that I was, you know, my relationship with my mom is now mended. I call her and we had calling cards. It was $20 for 20 minutes. And there was one of the houses just had like 10 phones. So I had to walk down to this one house to make a phone call. And I told her about this event. Well, unbeknownst to me, because I'm a child, um, everything's recorded and tapped. It's very nice. Like, like, you know, it's a high, like you can't talk about the things. So I told my mom, um, and like, I think two days later, I found myself in my commander's office and it was nothing. I didn't, you know, say anything that was groundbreaking that's ever going to get me in trouble. But I was just kind of telling her that I was like upset and this was bothering me, but it was just kind of like, that was like an eye opening thing where, where I realized I was like, I'm in a very serious place and my job is very serious and I need to kind of get myself together. Yeah. And I, I did. Um, because I was drinking, I was underage drinking. I have my first article 15 down there, which is um, kind of like, it's called the uniform code of military justice. And I broke the law and I got in trouble and I just was still not that I just always thought that I was untouchable. And then I learned the hard way, but like I said, like it just, it straightened me out. And I think that made me a better leader later on down the road because then I could empathize with my soldiers who got in trouble or who acted that same way, I could share my story with them and say, look, I get it. Um, but you need to get your ass together. Yeah. So for people who don't know what you do now, you own a really successful fitness company. And so I'm going to get to that in a little bit, but you said you lost like 30 pounds or 20 pounds or something like right away. Was it because of all the working out because of the stress combination? I know we hear sirens. It's, no, it's, um, it's the same time every day. But, um, they, when I graduated from boot camp, I will never forget. I mean, I was strong afterwards. However, I was like also bigger when I went in. So like, I didn't have time to shred. So I just got bigger on top of being big. And I remember my mom goes, Oh my God, who ate Erica? And I was like, well, like it was, you know, I didn't realize, but yeah, like I was, huge. And like, I was eating carbs, like on top of carbs with carbs and didn't really necessarily understand it. And like, that's not the military focuses so much on nutrition. Yeah. It's like, can you run fast? Can you do pushups? Can you do sit-ups? All right, cool. You're in kind of thing. Um, but again, like looking back, I, I, and I share the picture with my members actually, because I'm, I always tell them I work every day for this. It's so easy to go back to what that was. And I wasn't always in shape and it's sweat equity or it's hard work and it's being proud of that hard work. So when, when they are having struggles, I pull up this picture and I'm like, look, like, look at this. And not that I was like gross. I mean, I, so I, if for just people listening, I was 171 and right now I'm 139. Wow. So, but and it wasn't so much like, it's just very hard to explain like, the way I held it. Um, and it was just unhealthy. I was drinking a lot and that's kind of like how I was coping with not being home. And then I got in trouble, like I said, underage drinking. So it was just a whole mixture of just like, this unhealthy lifestyle um, that I needed to, I needed to change on my own. Like, you know, your parents, you can tell your son to do something, but until it means something to them, they're not going to care about it. And that's kind of what had to happen to me. Okay. So Um, how did that happen? Uh, again, like, I think it was a mixture of maybe getting in trouble. Yeah. Um, and then leaving, leaving there and not being able 
able to kind of talk about what I did or the things that I went through at 18 years old and then coming home. And that was my first time really visiting the people that I went to high school with and seeing what they were doing and not to like downplay people who didn't join the military, but I just felt like I had nothing in common with them anymore. And their problems seemed very insignificant or we just didn't connect. And I was just kind of like, this is what you're doing. And you're complaining about your life. Like I just lived in another country for a year. I didn't get to come home. Um, my dad had, um, an issue with his heart. He had to have heart surgery. Like those are the things that like you can't just pack a bag and go home anymore. And so taking, I guess that leap and realizing that I'm a part of something bigger and it requires sacrifice for the greater good. It just shifted my entire universe. And so like from joining the army to boot camp to Guantanamo Bay, it was like this big transition. And it was like a year and a half, it was about 18 month time period. And I, you can almost like see it. Like when I came home, my mom was like, like, who are you? You know, she's like even the conversations, being able to talk about things without getting mad or stomping off. And um, they used to call me Miss Pris because if I didn't get my way, I would really stomp every single foot up the stairs. And um, that part of me was just kind of gone. Uh, yeah. So, so, you know, I always say this, I think I've shared this with you. You know, I lived overseas right after high school. Um, my parents lived overseas. And then my first TV job was like on the Texas, Mexico border. And so like you, I got to see how good we have it in the U S I always say like the shittiest town in the United States is like the four seasons of really any other country. Right. Like, and, and my big aha moment, if you will, was I was in Taiwan during college in the summer and it was the 4th of July and I was with my family and there were no fireworks. And I'm like, I know. How can we have no fireworks on the 4th of July? And it seems really simple now, you know, it's like, but it's just something we, we expect to, you know, Santa Claus is there for Christmas. You know, we have the 4th of July, even if maybe you don't go to a park or a party, you still, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night, someone's getting woken up by a firework. Right. And um, so my point is that once I got to be on television, when I was in Laredo, Texas, you know, it's on the Texas Mexico border. And there was this, um, an alleged drug dealer that was basically living in a high rise, um, basically like government housing kind of like we would call it projects here. It's not a very nice word, but like basically government housing and outside of this thing that was like 25 stories, there were all these like monster trucks. Okay. Because they were his monster trucks. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm not being exact, like basically like, you know, monster mutt grave digger. Like he had bought versions of these trucks and, and his guys would drive these monster trucks. So there's like, 12 monster trucks around. So basically what I did is I went with my news camera. I went over there to Mexico, not the U S and I did what we call a standup where I have the microphone in my hand and I'm like, you know, blah, blah, blah has these monster trucks. That's how we know he's living in this house with government housing. You know, he's making millions of dollars dealing drugs, but he's, he's hiding in this thing. I say that because I came back across and all the people in the newsroom were like, you can't air this because you live within, it's like, Philadelphia to Camden, or it's like New York City to New Jersey. It's like Florida to Georgia. It's, it's right there. And they were like, you can't say this. I'm like, I can't say that because I live in the United States. And I felt that there's people like you and men and women right now 
that are defending my right to kind of be an asshole, if you will. But they're, they're, yeah, they're definitely, and I have to say, finish that story a little bit. Like a month later, I went to City Hall in Laredo, Nuevo Laredo, which is in Mexico. And I was like talking and this guy comes flying up to me. He goes, you can't be here. I'm like, why is it a, you know, private place? He's like, no, you can't be here in this city. And I'm like, why? He goes, recuerdas, which is like, remember. And I'm like, oh, I, I don't, what do I care? I don't really care about that. Like, I was like, I'm blonde. I have blind, like lady. Yeah, yeah you, I'm you, like, you, and how would they ever find me in the middle of Mexico? I mean, duh, I do stand up. But I do say I am thankful for people like you because you 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 go into harm's way. You did something that was uncomfortable and you did it not for yourself. Obviously, in the beginning, you, you did it for all of us. And so that's why, you know, when we talk about Veterans Day and Veterans Week, I've told you this. I make my kids say thank you for your service to everyone they meet, right? And because I want them to know that like freedom's not free. And I know that's on every stupid t-shirt, but you know, I just think that there are people like you. And so here's my question for you. Like, you know, many of the veteran events that you go to are super fun. You know, they're like, you competed in Miss Veteran America. You know, you've done stuff with the undersecretary of the army who we love so much in the Philadelphia area. Nothing. But there are days, I'm sure, where you have to talk to a man or a woman that is living in this horrible cage of PTSD or something dark. I'm sure people call you about this. Am I right? Yeah. Um, actually, so, you know, I think I really... I, the reason why I do what I do and I've immersed myself into this world is because when I left the army, um, you know, I had Guantanamo Bay, I was in Baghdad, I was in South Korea, I spent lots of time overseas. And so when I came home, I was, I don't say I was stuck as bad as some people were, but I was stuck in my mom's attic for months mm. and I didn't have a drive to do anything. And she, I accidentally went to Westchester University because she was there with my youngest sister looking at colleges. Um, and so I feel like I maybe had like survivor's guilt a little bit. And that's kind of, I feel like it's my karma right now. Like I have to pay back. Like I'm able and I'm here and I can have the conversations with people because I was given the chance, you know, like my ass got pulled out of bed to go do something with my life. And I have this voice and this personality where I'm not afraid to talk to people and spread the awareness um, because most people, it, it's even admitting that you're a veteran. That's the hardest part. And so um, I'm actually the co-host for the Philadelphia um, Veterans Festival. And that's actually airing on Sunday. Yeah. Um, and we talk about that during the show where I'm like, there are so many vets here in the Philadelphia area and female ones who are scared to even admit that they're a veteran. That Why don't are want they to afraid to do, I don't understand that. Why is that? I think a lot of it is we were fearful that we're judged, um, that we all have PTSD in, in the way that we do. You know, like I may suffer from PTSD differently from you. We can both go through the same exact experience and you and I are in combat together and the same thing happens to us you're going to feel it and experience it in a completely different way than I may, where I may go get violent and, you know, drink and become this crazy alcoholic person that society has now judged me as. And then you are going to close yourself off and pull yourself in and kind of hide away. And 
again, like it's because society doesn't know, I think how to like kind of mesh veterans and civilians, because at some point there was this, I don't know want to say like rumor or stereotype, but there were this different breed and we're not, we're still the same person. We just have different experiences. And I think people don't know how to have conversations with us. And so it just kind of became common that when you exited the military, you just quietly went about your business. And like, I say F that, you know what I mean? Like you, you need to get out there. And if you need to help ask for it, and I'm going to show you where to get the help and be proud of your service. There's so many people that are like, I'm not going to Applebee's for my free meal. Why? Why are you embarrassed? Like be thankful that they want to do that because you know, when our uncles came home from Vietnam, they didn't have that. So who are you to turn that down? Um, and that's kind of, I'm getting very excited right now. That's, that's kind of like my mentality now is do not be ashamed of being a veteran, whether you're a combat veteran or not. Not everybody got had the opportunity to get deployed and that's not their fault. So don't judge them for that because that's very common as well as, oh, you didn't deploy. So your service doesn't matter. False. Yeah. You know, they're, Every, every MOS, which is your job in the military, supports another. And the entire mission cannot be done without everybody's support. Um, but women in general, um, and for example, a couple of years ago at the Philadelphia Veterans Parade, I was given a VIP parking pass and I couldn't find where to go. So I rolled down my window and I asked um, one of the, I don't know if they were security or police, and they said, oh, which branch you know, did your husband serve? <laughs> Why? Why is that where your mind went? Because God, I couldn't possibly have served my country, you know? And so that's another thing too, where women are just kind of like, we're forgotten. And my favorite line, you know, when I give speeches or I talk to people is, in the service, women are the most visible service members because, you know, we're noticed in uniform or we're are it's just so many different stereotypes no it makes but, sense like you're like oh there's the girl there's the army barmy and forgive me for yeah, saying that. i don't know if that's now insulting sorry i'm on green and blue eyes um <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> sorry um but then when we leave we're the most invisible service members right so here we are in the military eyes on pressure we leave the military and it's no, our service no longer counts and so that's kind of like why i with the women and not that men don't need help either, but like, we need a little bit more. We need that little bit of a pull to come out. And plus our demographic is a little bit different too, because we're mothers. So, um, and not to say that there's single dads out there, but the population is like the majority are with their moms. And so that is where their attention needs to go. Um, so I don't, I don't even know. I always go off on tangents. So you probably are going to have to cut me off. When I no, no, no. I, that's the yeah. thing. Like, it's interesting because, you know, when I'm in an airport and there's two or three guys, I'm always like, thank you for your service. When there's a woman, it is harder to walk up to her. I don't know why. I mean, I certainly do it, you know, and I, and I've talked about this a couple of times, Brody, when he was little, there was a dude that was on the phone, you know, with the camo gear, whatever in the airport. And he was clearly yelling at someone. And I made, I was like, Brody, you gotta go talk to him. He's like, I'm not going to talk to him. And I'm like, bro, do you have to go? Is that, I'm not, definitely not going to do that. And um, so I made him go. The guy started bawling his eyes out, right? Because he was like, shit, I'm home. There's a little person that likes me, that doesn't even know me. And, um, and it's funny because I think a woman sometimes, when you do say thank you, they look to me kind of bitchy. 
But now it makes sense that maybe they're like, they've got so much of a, like an armor on them, right? Because they've had to have that every day when they go to bed, when they wake up, when they brush their teeth while they're serving, because they are a target. And finally someone's saying, thanks, right? Yeah, my soldiers. So when I was a squad leader, uh, I was the only female and they were all men. Some of them were older than me. And they would tell they would like, you're so mean. You are the meanest human being. And I, I had to be. And now I still talk to a lot of them and they're like, you're such a different person now. You're so nice. And, you know, and I love that they follow everything that I do, but I had to be mean because of that stigma where if I wasn't mean, and I wasn't earning my promotion, that I wasn't earning my awards or I wasn't a good leader. So there was no other choice but to be this hard, you know, bitch for lack of a better word. So we create this, you know, wall. And so we look that way because we have to, because if we're smiling, I could be standing next to a male soldier who's smiling and I'm smiling at the same thing, but over it's me, I will be flirting. Right. So if you're looking soft, at it from far away, right? Flirting or soft. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it's just, it's getting better. It's getting better. And that's good. But that's why I do what I do is because I want people to know, like, hey, I'm tough. Like, I am tough as freaking out. And you can challenge me to anything you want, but I'm also soft. You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. can love you, and be tender, but like, I am not to be messed with. And I want other women to be able to vocally say that because I believe that it takes a certain kind of special freaking female to join the military and they deserve to be recognized. I agree. Okay. So the thing that I love about the military is it's all about service, right? And service to others and working as part of a team. And you have become part of my team. And um, we're not going to go on forever about this because it's still kind of happening. But I love that anytime I want to help someone or do anything, you're always game for it. I know that you're a small business owner, so it's hard for you to break away at a moment's notice. But we had the opportunity to meet this little girl, Ellie May. And for people who don't know, go to Facebook, Mighty Ellie May. She's, um, she just turned four November 1st. And, you know, she's got cancer and she's fighting cancer. And so I heard that she liked Wonder Woman and Erica loves Wonder Woman. So I called her and I was like, dude, and this is so random. I literally saw this chick, this little girl, this angel's picture on Facebook. And I do this all the time. And people, you know, my, my producers at work are like, is this some kind of like make a wish thing? Or did you, is this? I'm like, nah, I just saw this chick on Facebook. So I literally stalked the mom and I called her and I'm like, what if I brought Wonder Woman to your house? And she was like, for what? And I'm like, to make this girl happy, right? And I think the two of us didn't really know how it was going to go, but I was like, okay, Erica, get a Wonder Woman outfit. Like, yeah, it's like 37 hours. <laughs> I and then, you know, she's hiding behind her, you know, SUV, which was also hilarious because I'm like, no, you stay there. I'll be over here. Then this little girl wants, I know all the words to all the Frozen songs, but my daughter's a little older, so I don't know the Moana ones. And she's basically yelling at me, hitting me with a glittered up micro Moana microphone that I didn't know the words. And then in live television, typically when we do surprises, they suck. Either the person isn't excited to see, you know, you're going to Disney World. The kid's like, whatever, I went last week. Um, in this instance, I think it will live on forever. When this little Ellie Mae saw you, and again, it's COVID, we're not supposed to be touching each other. 
She's definitely immunocompromised. The mom was definitely not, you know, worried about any of it. When she came looking at you, I need to know, we haven't really talked about it. It must have pierced your entire heart. Then I was, first of all, trembling behind, like, I was so scared, just like you. What if she looked at me and I made her cry? Um, and I was just so nervous. I was so hyped like, and excited that it was just going to be for not. But her, like, it was such a genuine, like, surprise and just happiness I've never seen in my entire life. I've never seen it. And I, the only way to describe that day is, like, I am forever moved like there will be unless the birth of my own child and nothing can beat this moment and like we provided for 10 minutes this like moment of just pure perfect life for her and her life has been so traumatic since birth and like the fact that she was trying to get everybody else involved like she, her dad her sister yeah, she's like daddy meet wonder woman you know she's an older brother she's like bro meet wonder she like that's the thing about her heart is like she had to share. You know, there's a lot of kids. It could have gone one of two ways, right? They ball their eyes out because they're afraid of Wonder Woman. Or they're like, F y'all. This is my superhero. She was, she literally was like, you know, she definitely thought the Wonder Woman came to see her, which is amazing because she did. You're her. And then um, the fact that she wanted to share her joy is, and the other thing about this girl is like, you know, I definitely think she knows she has cancer. She knows she has to get boo-boos and stuff, but she's not living as a kid with cancer, right? She's, which is not, like you said, with the PTSD, everyone takes it differently. Like every kid is different, but like this kid was different. She basically came to the door and was like, what's up? Let's start singing songs. You know, she yeah. was like, give me a minute. And when we told her she was going to be on TV, it was almost like, well, where the frick have you guys been? I should have been on TV my entire life, you know? Yeah. <laughs> my point of telling this story is because if you didn't serve in the military, it's okay. I didn't serve. If you don't have a million dollars, that's okay. I don't have a million dollars. But you can, in your everyday life, do something for someone when you, the, the doer, least expect that you can right? Like you weren't expecting that phone call. I wasn't expecting to call. I was like, I got to do something. Um, but I think even saying thank you to someone, you know, or saying, dude, you look upset. Can I talk to you about it? Like, I don't know what we're supposed to say to veterans because I'm not a veteran, but I think just sometimes people are afraid to listen because you don't have all the answers when really you're just looking for someone to listen. Yeah. Um, we, I often will say, you know, like we'll say, like, put your money where your mouth is. You know, people want to talk the talk, but it's it's really about walking the walk. Um, you know, buying a cup of coffee for someone in uniform as it's appreciated. But what are you doing to change? You know, we talk about change and we talk about impact and we talk about our community. We're your community. Like buying us a coffee is very nice. But how about you look up maybe an organization where you can maybe buy a coffee for a month for a family or pay for someone's electric bill who can't afford it this winter and needs heat because um, they have four kids and they need to pay for education first. And so there's all like things where people aren't educated about it. So I can't fault people for it. Yeah. Where if you say you support the troops and you want to help veterans and you want to thank veterans, that is how you do it. And that's so on my social media for the last couple of um, days, I've been saying, 
how to thank a veteran on Veterans Day is support veteran-owned businesses, support um, VSOs, which are veteran service organizations, you know, donate your time, just go visit. And like you, you just mentioned, you know, asking how they're doing. Don't look at them like they're this weird person. Like that's how I felt in college. I felt that people looked at me like I was this old lady in the back of the room who like, I don't know what they thought that I did, but I'm just like you. I just had a different job for a little bit. Um, So I think open dialogue and letting your kids talk to vets too. And like loosening this whole, like keep them over there and over here because they're crazy, crazy. We do. We want to have the conversations with you. Um, And we, we want to be a part of society and feel accepted and, and feel loved. You know, it's, it's no different. Um, So like, I think the best way to to thank a veteran and to show your support is to do it's actions. Um, You can say all day that you love your country, but what are you doing? What are you doing to prove that? So, okay, this is crazy. The Pope came to Philadelphia, I don't know, four or five years ago. And, you know, he was here to do this big speech on the parkway. People have seen it like where the Rocky steps are, if you're not familiar with Philadelphia. But the day before that speech, he gave a speech near Independence Mall, which is where the independence happened, I guess. I don't even know what happened there. But anyway, um, and I speak, I speak fluent Spanish and he was speaking in Spanish and, and, you know, they were translating it badly as they always do. So here's what the Pope said. By the way, I'm not Catholic, but I love this guy. He said, you know, he's famous for like going and washing the feet of inmates, not detainees. And um, but anyway, so you know what he said? And, and, you know, as a pope, he's very provocative. He's he's different. He was a bouncer in Argentina. A lot of people don't know all his story. But anyway, what he said in Spanish was, if you're if you're poor and homeless, you're lonely first. And what he said was. Because he said it's it's not enough just to give someone a sandwich. It's not enough to go, you know, uh, give five dollars or whatever you want to do. He said, think about this. If you're homeless, you're lonely because if you were poor and you had friends, your friends would take you in. Like, you know, when I bet everything there is to do on the house and I I know that one of the stops I can make is at your house. And, and that's no bullshit. You know, I know that there's so many people that would take my family in help my family. And that means that I'm not lonely. Right. And so what he said was the Pope is sort of what you're saying. He was like, go visit them, get in their face, talk to them. I think that we forget. And, you know, COVID's not the ideal time to go visit someone. But, you know, I do think that that you can, as you're scrolling Facebook, you know, if you see that it's Veterans Day on Facebook, you can look up stuff to do near me or stuff. I don't even know what you would Google, but like, that's the other thing about helping people in these veterans organizations is like, when you talk about veteran owned businesses, it could be a t-shirt shop. You could get your nails done. You could buy yourself a pizza. It, you don't have to go buy a gun because it's a veteran shop, right? You don't have to go buy like camo socks, veterans own gyms like Dub Fitness, right? You could go have a workout. Yep. Camo socks. <laughs> I mean, I like camo socks. I'm not going to yeah. lie. I don't know where I would get one of those. A veteran sock outlet, maybe. I'm sure that exists. Be extreme. You have to hold signs and be, but it is. It's, it's even like the silent, the silent caring. You know, like I said, walking yeah. the walk, putting your money where your mouth is. All right. So as we wrap it up, what's the hardest thing you've ever done outside of this whole, like you run a lot, you do all these challenges, you have faced, 
you know, detainees in a foreign country, what's the hardest thing that you ever did? Um, that's a really tough question. Oh my God. Hardest thing I ever did. Um, <laughs> this is going to sound super cheesy, but I think was say goodbye to my family. Um, having to sacrifice time with my family and bonding with my sisters and leaving my mom during a time of war. And I'll never forget her saying, why does a teenage girl want to go to Iraq? Um, and making that choice that I may not come home for the greater good of my country. Um, so I think making that decision at 18 years old that I knew I needed to serve and that by me serving and being a part of that volunteer army, that people who didn't want to, didn't have to. Um, so that's probably, that was probably the hardest decision that I ever made in my life. She didn't try to lock you in your room. I've got an 11 year old. I feel like if Landry (laughs) came to me, I would lock her in the, like, did she try that? Please. I mean, (laughs) either me arrested or the recruiter arrested. I'm not sure what her goal was. Um, but yeah, and I, and I saved all the letters and she even wrote that. She goes, I'm just, and watching kind of like the mom shift, right. In the beginning it was very, I don't understand. I'm so angry. You left. My sisters were angry. I left them. And then it was this sense of pride. And I think it was maybe like graduation, seeing me in my dress uniform and we're marching and you do the eyes right and everyone shifts. And it's like, I mean, I've used, it's beautiful watching drill and ceremony. And I think they saw me transform into this person and how much I, like, I bleed. I always say I bleed red, white, and blue. Like I am in love with my country and as broken as we are, I believe people can fix it if we just vocalize and we come together and love each other. And it was, this country was worth me leaving my parents and my sisters behind. And so it just upsets me to even see what's going on today is I just wish people had like an ounce, just an ounce of faith and, you know, we can, we can fix it. Cause I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. I don't know the rest of the words, but I sing it loud to me. Cause I'll gladly stand in my kitchen because my family's not home. And I thank my friend. Oh my God, I just- Hey, hold on, this Apple. I hope Apple Music picks this up. (laughs) (laughs) All right, bottom line, thank you for your service. Thank you for being a badass. Thank you for sharing with us so that we can help others. Thank you for answering the phone when I call. Please. Thank you for your support. I love you. I love you more. All right. Subscribe, download, do all that stuff. Follow. Okay, what's your handles? What's your social handles? Um, Erica Webster underscore dub fitness or just dub fitness. Type in any of those and I will come up anywhere. It's Erica Webster. I love it. I can't wait for our next challenge. Physical, mental, otherwise. Love you. Love you more. Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy, radio personalities like Ian Beckles, news and political pundits like independent journalists Frank and Tracy Beans, experts from the sports world like veteran football scout and coach Chris Landry, pro wrestling personality David Penzer, MMA experts Jason Floyd and Daniel Galvan, and strength and conditioning coach Jeff Crochelle. If you're looking for food, sports, music, entertainment, politics, no matter the topic, Radio Influence has something for everyone. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.